Good morning. So yes, I married into the Hagen family. I also, uh, that executive pastor stint was with the Hagens for eight and a half years in Sacramento as they planted their last church, which means I have all the stories, all the stories, not just from working with them and being with Pastor Hagen and Karen in the office, but uh, also from the family stories and the Thanksgiving dinner table and all of that. So here is my promise to you this morning. I like a responsive group, okay? So if you promise to amen me a lot, okay? If you're going to like be responsive, you can say amen, you could say that hurt, you can say whatever you need to say, okay? But you're verbal about it and out loud. I promise I am going to tell you a Hagen story, okay? And I, here's the teaser that I will give you. It is the story of the biggest fight I ever heard Scott and Karen get into because I was there and I have all of the story I had a front row seat for all of the awkwardness that was the fight among the Hagans okay so um, I'm going to get into the Bible in a second, but I have to do the, like the preacher introduction of who I am and, you know, the things that they didn't necessarily say in the bio. So uh, they're going to put up a picture. This is my husband, Ben, and I. Ladies, uh, if you have a call to preaching ministry, let me give you a little bit of advice. Don't marry a ministry major. If, now, if you're already dating, I did not just tell you to break up, okay? Now, uh, my husband and I met during freshman orientation at another AG school of Angel. Uh, we were dating by February of freshman year. So I really cannot give you dating advice beyond that because that like was the year 2000 and it stuck. And so we got married in 2002 and we're off and running from that point. But I will tell you as a, a female pastor, as a female lead pastor, it is really, really helpful to marry a creative techie guy. Okay, because my graphics are always excellent. My husband is a graphic designer by trade. And uh, he also, he knows how to EQ a microphone for a female voice. That actually matters in case you didn't know that. So all of the guys that are like in tech fields or in creative fields, just consider it. All right. Uh, we do have five kids. Jada, Jayshon, Jaren, Aja, and Ari, they uh, are all in a pack there. So the J's and the A's, those are my kiddos. So uh, Jada's the one with the fro. She is 13. We have a teenager. God help us. Uh, Jayshon is the one with the red glasses and the locks. He is 11. He'll be 12 in a couple months. Jaren is the one standing behind there. He is 10 and a half. Aja is six months younger than him. She's from, we had set one and set two. Come home. Aja is currently the tallest. She's 10 years old. She just turned 10 and she's 5'2". Uh, and then Ari is the one with the bow tie. He is nine years old, and he is our showman and our musician of the family. When you are the youngest of five, you got to make sure you stand out. And uh, he is the bonus baby we never expected. You can have surprises at the adoption. 
Uh, we went back into the foster system to find a baby sister. That was Aja. And then surprise, we got a baby sister and a baby brother. So he came along for the picture. Now I want to tell you a little bit about my church. And so I'm the senior pastor of Sacred Church in San Bruno, California, which is right outside of San Francisco. If you fly to the peninsula, you're actually going to fly into our city. We often have people who are on their layovers or the end of their vacations attend our church because we are a mile from the airport uh, there. And so we get all kinds of people. We're in multi-ethnic, multicultural community, lots of first-generation immigrants on the peninsula and part of our church family. So we planted, um, we moved to the peninsula five years ago and replanted a church in a historic church location four years ago. The church started there in 1940 and it's been a sacred space of worship right by the main transit corridor in our city uh, since 1940, but churches have life cycles as well and it died just kind of a dramatic, tragic death in uh, 2013, and so then we came onto the picture when our district leadership asked if we'd be willing to step in and plant something brand new there. So my favorite part of our physical structure, besides the location and kind of having this historic church, is our stained glass windows. So you can go ahead and put up all three of those, but this kind of represents our ministry and who we are quite a bit. So it's a little difficult to see with the lighting, but on the left, we have the three stained glass windows, and they represent the Trinity. And so on the left, you have Father God as the Good Shepherd, and I don't know if you can tell, but it's very clear to us and anyone in the room that Father God is clearly a black man. Uh, he has the darkest complexion of the windows. You can cheer. That's awesome. Okay. Um, the middle window is Jesus, and he is definitely brown. Okay. Because uh, he was and is, hello. And uh, I don't know how controversial this will be on this campus, but if the right window represents Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is clearly a pasty white girl. That's all I'm saying. We all got to see ourselves. We are reflected in the image, even the pasty white girls. Uh, so a lot of people come here recruiting and want you as students to graduate and then work with them in ministry or do internships. Uh, I will say all of the above and definitely, but here is the thing. Um, I will tell you a few things that we really need. Um, and I have cards in there around the altar areas, or you can come find me later, that say clearly, just as a recruiting pitch, it doesn't snow in San Francisco. Uh, and it has my information on there, but... YouTube headquarters and all of their offices are about a mile from our church. Uh, we have a teaching shortage crisis that is around the country, is a lot of California, but on the peninsula because of the cost of living there and the fact that basically you're taking a missions appointment to teach in our schools, we need education majors desperately. Uh, we have a huge gaping hole in special ed in our area, and um, there are currently 85 full-time special ed positions listed on the San Francisco Peninsula that... Last, um, I checked with the school district superintendent, there were six people listed in EdJoin as an application of someone who qualified for the jobs. We need people who work in tech and want to design and animate with LucasArts, which is right there in the city. We need people to work at Pixar. We need people to work at Apple. We need other people to work in all of these fields from admin to being their lawyer to being in the creative fields because number one, you can get a job and actually afford to live there because we are the most expensive housing market in the world. But also, we need light in the darkness. 
We really do. And this is not just where they're creating content and devices, but it is where they're creating culture. And we need more influencers and people of faith to walk in there, to participate in a local church body, but to be in the workplace and to be in the marketplace. So if you want to talk to me about what life is like there and connections that I can help you make, please have a conversation with me. All right, open your Bibles to Exodus One of my favorite verses in Exodus, and we're going to get to another passage, but I just want to read this real quick, is Exodus 3.12. God answered, I'll be with you. And you could kind of just stop preaching at that point and have an altar call, right? Because we all need God to be with us, and we need to know that he's with us. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So say you had a New Year's resolution this year to read the Bible through in a year. Maybe you are totally on track and God bless you, that's nice, okay? But maybe you are like me and if I opened up my YouVersion app right now, my Bible app to my reading plan, it would say, and I checked this morning, I am on day 338 of 365 from the Bible in a year 2017. There's grace for that. There's also a little catch-up button that just makes me feel better. So... If, if you're like me in that, you might still be in the book of Exodus, and if you're reading along, you might get stuck there. You might definitely get stuck because you don't want to go on to Leviticus after that. And so I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler alert. Now, most of you have probably heard this, but just a spoiler alert. At the end of the book of Exodus, they don't get to the promised land. I mean, like my whole life, I'm a fourth-generation pastor and church planter. But when I read through it for myself, I'm like, hold on. Like, we just got to the end of the book. Shouldn't they be somewhere by now? No, 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 they don't. Exodus is over, but the actual Exodus was not over. In fact, you're going to get some beautiful details that come about the tabernacle, which to me is like God's great glamping plan, you know? And then, then you get to Leviticus, and there's a whole bunch of rules and ways to stay healthy like this one. This is one of my favorites. If anyone has a boil on the skin that has started to heal, but a white swelling or a reddish white spot develops in its place, that person must go to the priest to be examined. Yes, amen. If the priest examines it and finds that it has more than, it's more than skin deep, how did they figure that out? Ooh. And if the hair in the affected area has turned white, the priest must pronounce the person ceremonially unclean. The boil has become a serious skin disease. Hear ye the word of the Lord. (laughs) Ministry majors, thank God that is no longer in a pastoral job description. Like you just get to like punt that one to the bio and chem majors. Like that is their issue now. And then you get to the book of Numbers, which has a lot of numbers in it. And then you get to Deuteronomy. And let's be honest, Deuteronomy is like the ancient version of Sparknotes. It's of the Pentateuch. And so it summarizes and reviews everything that they've learned so far in the journey. And then you get to the end of that book. And then there's Moses. And it honors him for leading them through this whole crazy process. And there's this beautiful verse that describes Moses, Deuteronomy 34.10. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. 
So then let me give you another spoiler. He dies. Outside of the promised land. And you can turn the page and you can keep reading. The people go in. But Moses did not. Moses was an incredible leader. But he was also a human. Just like you. Just like me. And sometimes he got things wrong. And sometimes the things that he got wrong affected the rest of his life. Sometimes the things that he got wrong affected the rest of someone else's life. But he was still a man of God. And he was remembered as someone whom the Lord knew face to face. So here's a pop quiz for you in the middle of chapel. Did Moses fail? Think about it. Did Moses fail? I mean, don't you think he had a plan for his life? Let me make this a little more personal. Was Moses a failure? Fail is guilt. I did something wrong. I'm a failure is shame. I'm wrong. He didn't get to the promised land. He was leading all of these people towards that destination. Guys, and I do mean that in the most California gender neutral way. <laughs> what happens when you get to the end of Exodus and it doesn't have the ending that you thought it would? What happens when you get to the end of the book in the series and it doesn't have the ending that you thought it would? What happens if you thought that Hermione should have ended up with Harry? What's going to happen if Avengers Endgame opens on April 26th and they do not bring back T'Challa, Peter Parker, or Bucky? What happens when my life's next chapter is not what I wanted it to be? What happens when the story looks different than you anticipated? I have some good news for you today. Exodus, especially for all you senioritis people that want to get out of here, Exodus may be the plan, but relationship is the purpose. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And what causes us so much stress in our lives is when we start grieving the plans and don't recognize the purpose. Now, I know this is, may not be kind of a typical chapel thing because I know when I was sitting at Evangel, a lot of the messages I heard in chapel on a weekly basis were all about the, the ideas and we're going to change the world and everything that God has planned for me and all of these things to do and all of these concepts and all of these milestones that I'm going to hit and things that are going to happen. Does God have plans for us? Yes, absolutely. I believe that scripture is very clear that he has a will and he has a way when it comes to our lives. That is a reflection of how we are made in the image of God because we have a will and a way. But does he hold a greater purpose for us that supersedes the plan options? And again, I think that scripture says yes. So Exodus 34, the end of the book. Starting with verse 28, Moses remained there on the mountain with the, with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And all that time he ate no bread and drank no water. 
And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. Verse 32, then all the people of Israel approached him and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he'd remove the veil until he came out again. Then he'd give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given them. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he'd put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. See, I think we do Moses a disservice when we remember him as that guy who led the Israelites out of Egypt. In any leadership or self-help book that you go to, a Barnes & Noble or any other brick-and-mortar bookstore, or if you are clicking through on Amazon and swiping through, you're going to find self-help books that say the... The idea of identity, because all of culture is coming to understand this more and more, is not what you do, it's who you are. So who was Moses? Moses was not the hero of the story who got the people out. Moses was not the failure that didn't lead them in. Moses was somebody who the Lord knew face to face. And when you turn the page, and all of a sudden, life doesn't look like what you thought it would. When there's a cliffhanger because of your failure or because of somebody else's mistake that affects the rest of your life too, when there is a completely different direction, left turn that God is taking you in, it's a plot twist that you never expected to happen. You guys, sometimes that is deliverance. That is the fact that an exodus is not just the road out, it's the road in. And sometimes it looks different. I went to school as an honor student that had it all together and graduated high school with an above A GPA because of the honors classes. And I was on the dean's list and had every expectation to do well and to honestly fly through undergrad and not have a difficult time. I had milestones that I had set up and was planning for in my life that I was going to make happen. And then my mental health started to deteriorate and the anxiety that I had experienced since fourth grade that had been a bit more of a struggle my junior and senior year of high school began to hit me heavier than it ever had before. And in my dorm room, I would sit there and have a panic attack over the thought of going to class. I would end up with nail prints in my palms after I had done all the research for the paper and had it sitting around me to write and I just could not translate the words onto the laptop. I couldn't even face chapel. I definitely overcut chapel. And I definitely went from the dean's list to having to leave school three different semesters because of my failing mental health. I had amazing professors that came to me and had watched one of their peers go into a season of manic depression. And they came to me and said, we see the same markers in you that our friend had and it's time for you to step away for a while. It's time for you to get healthy and to find healing in a different model than living here on campus and being a full-time student. 
So I did. In that process, I got married, I did counseling, I started medication, I went through every single aspect of that journey and learned my own triggers and learned how to adjust to my own expectations because they were all internal, none of them were external. And I started to regulate that and it still hurt that I could not hit the milestones I wanted. Now I did get married at 21, which was way before I ever expected to. But then we wanted kids. I went into full-time vocational ministry at that point, was much healthier, was doing much better, and able to kind of self-regulate and find self-care in a way that worked for my life in that season. And then we wanted to have kids. And then we were told that I could get pregnant, but it was going to take a lot of work. And then we found out that not only was I facing infertility, but my husband, Ben, was also facing infertility. Awesome. And for seven years, I avoided church on Mother's Day. Karen knows because I stood next to her during most services. And we started the process for two different types of international adoption, only to have both countries then close to international adoption. Went through medical test after everything, and it, nothing ever worked. So then got certified as a FOS Adopt Home, foster adoption and thought, surely we're willing to take a sibling set of any ethnicity, like surely this is going to happen very quickly, and then month after month after month of no match, and then zero to chaos, I had three children. And then two and a half years later, I had two more. Stayed in full-time ministry through all of that. Actually, my husband left um, working with a a corporation and became a stay-at-home dad for a season and did freelance work and then eventually he was on staff at the church as well and then I um, really felt the call to become a senior pastor because at that point working with President Hagen I was either going to kill him or me um, we had at seven years we finally had like an honest conversation where we realized we were more alike than either one of us wanted to admit and so there was only going to be one senior pastor of that church so unless he was about to resign I was going to have to find another church because that is how God made me. And so we knew that that was the next step, but that wasn't really a fun journey as a woman in ministry. I'll just be honest. And so it was fraught with some trials and some processes that weren't fun, but God is faithful. And then we moved to the most expensive place to live on the universe with five children to plant a church. Things don't always end up the way you think they're going to. You're not always going to hit all of the milestones. And I think when we only talk about the joys and the promise and all the great ideas, then when something bad happens, we feel like we're the failure. That I must have failed if all of a sudden there's a left turn and I'm not living in the promised land the way I always thought. What made it okay were the altar moments. What made it okay were the experiences with God. What made the end of Moses' life still beautiful and his legacy still amazing. It was this mountain moment. It was these experiences with God. It was these worship, conversation, closeness, amazingness that he and God had going. It's the fact that living outside of the promise is still beautiful if you're living inside of the purpose. Living outside of the promise for your life can still be beautiful as long as you keep living in the purpose. 
And remember, the purpose is not the plan. It's the relationship with him. It's okay if your life looks different because when you have an encounter with God, you look different. It's okay if the plan is not what you expected because when you walk out of a moment with God, other people are going to look at you and you are not what they expected. It's all right. Moses had to put a veil over his face because the people just plain didn't get it. They had not had that mountain worship conversation amazingness moment yet. He had to veil up and it wasn't to hide God from them or so that he could keep God all to himself. He shared what God was doing, but then he had to have this, and for all the people 35 and over in the room, it was a few good men, you can't handle the truth moment, where he put the veil back over his face. And we don't have to assume this. Paul writes about it to the letter in a church in a city called Corinth. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. See, if I look to God, if I have moments of encounter with God face to face, if I use my faith in the one who seems unseen, I spend time with him in the word of God, the Bible, I will be transformed. My character will be changed. My path will be changed. My patterns will be changed. My health will be changed. My relationships will be changed. I will be transformed. That is the deliverance that you need day after day in this life. That is the exodus, the road out and the road in. That is the time in his presence, being able to hear his voice. That is what makes every twist and turn that you will experience okay. That favorite verse I shared from the beginning of Exodus, God answered, I will be with you and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Moses was now at that very mountain. He was having his worship moment there. But the you will worship is not a singular you. Now English doesn't have a plural you except where I was raised, it's y'all. Even when the people didn't get it yet, God was saying y'all will worship when they couldn't handle the fullness of the truth that is being face-to-face with a holy God, the Lord was giving them instructions on how to build that glamping tabernacle tent. And in that place, he was going to teach them the truth. He would teach them that he didn't just want to know Moses face-to-face, he wanted to know every single one of them. Even if that point in history, they could not go past the veil. They could not go into the final curtain that was the Holy of Holies. But centuries later, the Father sent the Son And Mark recorded 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection that the veil was torn. Why? It's because of Jesus that every single one of us can be someone whom the Lord knows face to face. 2 Corinthians 3, 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is Spirit makes us more and more like him 
as we're changed into his glorious image. Stand up, guys. You will face transitions. You will face change. Some of it will stink. You will hate it. And some of it will be more amazing than you've ever imagined. But this morning, what I want to challenge you with is have you put expectations on the plan that God has not put on your purpose? Have you said it needs to look like this? It needs to have these milestones because it may not. Are you recognizing yourself and others for who they are and not the possibilities of what they will do? And have you come to a place to regularly, like Moses, have intimate worship, communication, amazingness moments with God? It is truly astounding what you can handle when you have experiences with him. Bow your eyes. Close your eyes. It doesn't make anything more spiritual. It's just less distracting. Father, we thank you that you have a purpose. We thank you that your purpose is relationship, that your purpose is restoration, that your purpose deals with our eternity on the other side more than it deals with these days right now. So God, as we seek your face, as we lean into the ideas and the directions and the plans, we're not going to shy away from any of them, but we will not consider ourselves to have failed or be failures when the direction changes. Because we will live in the purpose of that face-to-face knowledge of who you are, who we are, and the goodness of that. Amen. Now, I did promise you something, students. We were sitting at breakfast at Bella Brew in Sacramento The executive team also often had a conversation there. And so we were sitting around and the waitress knew us so well because we did this so often that she basically could bring out our orders without us even asking. And Pastor Karen, as was her tradition, had like eggs and toast and chicken apple sausage. And as we sat through the whole meal, we were having this conversation. And at the end of our time, Pastor Scott leaned over and with his fork took the sausage off of her plate and started to eat it. And she looked at him and just made a sound. (laughs) Now, you've met your president, right? He is not a man of few words. I mean, he might speak in tweets, but he has a lot of them, guys. And he was silent. And this look of utter terror came onto his face like, oh, dear Lord, what have I done? Kearney, Kearney, I thought you were done. I thought you were done. No, I was saving it for last. And as she just looked at him, and I mean, we were in like this half circle booth and we were all at the back of it, like backing away, what's gonna happen? And without saying another word to her, he found the waiter as fast as he possibly could and ordered another chicken apple sausage. And he restored the relationship 
not just with word, but with action. And he put back on her plate what had been stolen from her. And by the way, the Lord will restore the years the locust has stolen, because she had already eaten half of it, but she got a whole one back. So ladies and gentlemen, restore the relationship. That is actually, I'm not kidding, the biggest fight I've ever seen them get in, and there were very few words. God bless you students. Have a great day. Come see me.